Welcome to Money Mile. I'm your host, Justin Waller, and I am happy you are here. We like to think of Money Mile as standing at the corner of triathlon and personal finance. We believe that age group triathletes are the lifeblood of our sport, and we want to shine the light on some good people doing great things in our sport. Today, we have a very special guest on Money Mile. We are joined by Stephen Jarvis. Stephen is the CEO and lead CPA at Retirement Tax Services. He is an active athlete, former triathlete turned OCR or obstacle course racer, and the host of the first annual Retirement Tax Services Tax Summit that just happened this past September. I will say it was great, and we are happy to have Stephen with us today. We are going to talk about Stephen's journey to become an accountant. We will learn about his progression to becoming an author as well as his athletic career. We are also going to ask several questions that as an athlete you may have wondered about, and also as a taxpayer in the U.S., we also learned some great thought processes about how to pay less in taxes over your lifetime. Be sure to listen to the end because Stephen is going to share some great resources to help you increase your knowledge and not get killed in taxes. This is one of our special interview episodes, so it will be longer than a normal episode. There will be a brief intermission slash form check opportunity in the middle-ish as well, so look forward to that. If you are receiving the Money for the Long Run newsletter, we have the show notes and links in your email inbox, so you can check into that when you're back at your computer. But for now, drop your shoulder blades into your back pockets, pick your eyes up, and make sure you have a nice forward lean from the ankles, and listen up to this conversation with the one, the only, Stephen Jarvis. Uh, We're so happy that you're here. Stephen, welcome. Justin, I'm so excited to be here. I love anything where we can talk about money and the races that we also love uh, at the same time. Excellent. Just so everybody knows, uh, Stephen and I uh, do work collaboratively with many of my clients through Waller Financial Coaching uh, to help make sure that they are doing the best they can in taxes. So they're they're paying the least in taxes possible. And so you know a little bit about Stephen. He is a CPA, a business owner, and he is also an author. Uh, he is the author of the book, Don't Get Killed on Taxes. Uh, so we may be talking about that a little bit today. So uh, before we get too far into the book itself. I just want to touch base a little bit. So Stephen, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started in being a CPA? Yeah. So I uh, didn't particularly care for high school. I only barely graduated due to a shocking lack of effort. Thankfully, took a little bit of a break after high school uh, to try to figure out life and then decided that really what I wanted was a job. And at the time, uh, this is right around the, the, the fun in 2008, And accountants seemed in high demand in spite of a lot of other lack of demand. And so I thought, great, I can go, I can go get an accounting degree. I've always been pretty good at math and I'll always have a job. And that's about how sophisticated my decision was. Thankfully, it has evolved since then. And I've gotten to get in and see how I can impact individuals' lives, how I can apply problem solving and other skills that I have to really have an impact. But if I'm being completely honest, that the origin stories are not that exciting. Well, a somewhat winding path, but uh, I, for one, am glad you are here. I'm glad the path that you uh, have taken has, has gotten you to this point. I uh, certainly have enjoyed working with you thus far and uh, happy to have you here on, on the podcast today. Not every CPA has written a book about it uh, <laughs> and about how to not get killed on taxes. Can you tell us a little bit about why did you write the book? 
Yeah, it's a great question, Justin. I don't think that there are many CPAs who take the time to write a book, let alone on taxes. Really, the thought process behind this was that all of us have to pay taxes and none of us really were ever taught about taxes unless you went and got an accounting degree like I did. Uh, you, you come out of high school, you get your first you know grown-up job when you're, you're not getting claimed by your parents anymore. And all of a sudden, you've got to file this tax return every year. Not only are you not taught how to do that, but you're also just not taught core principles of how to make sure that you're not overpaying the IRS over your lifetime. And so the book is a combination of kind of foundational principles of how taxes work. And this is written for taxpayers. It's not written for other CPAs. So it's these foundational principles, common myths that people believe about taxes, and then a whole slew of strategies that you can use to incrementally save on taxes over time. I, I tell people all the time, I'm not your guy for Cayman Island accounts. I'm not trying to hide things from the IRS and hope no one notices. We want to make small incremental changes over time so that at the end of the day, we're not leaving the IRS a tip. Fantastic. So uh, something our audience should also know about Stephen is that Stephen is a, an accomplished athlete as well, and specifically had, has a history of being involved in triathlon, uh, has now moved on to some uh, other uh, exciting adventures. But just for our, for our listeners, Stephen, can you tell us a little bit about your triathlon story? How did you get started with that? So in high school, just like with my academics, I was an exceptionally mediocre athlete, but my friends ran cross country and track. So I ran cross country and track. And then I had friends that did swim team. And so I did swim team my senior year. And then after high school, I stopped pretty much all forms of athletics for a while, other than the random pickup game of basketball, uh, until I broke my femur in a motorcycle accident. And my physical therapist told me that with the surgery they did, that if I was active, that I wouldn't ever have problems with it. And if I wasn't active, I could have a lot of complications. The idea of triathlons had always been kind of somewhere in the back of my mind. And so in 2010, I did my very first sprint triathlon in Rigby, Idaho. And in this man-made reservoir that was so shallow that you could have walked through the water the whole way. It, it was easier to swim, but yeah, you could have walked the whole thing. It was a, it was a sprint. So I don't know, it's maybe a 300 yard swim and like a 10 mile bike ride and like a two and a half mile run. It was, it was nothing impressive, but that was my entry into triathlons. Okay. And so that was 2010. You had some notable accomplishments as a uh, triathlon story. You shared with me uh, one just uh, a few minutes ago. Maybe you could share that with the audience as well. Yeah. So I think I skipped over using ambition for the first 20 so years of my life and then felt the need to kind of overcompensate. And so now I go do these things that most people probably wouldn't sign up for. So in 2021, I did my first 70.3 in San Diego. It was beautiful. It was a great experience. And then the next summer, I had two different groups of friends trying to coordinate triathlons in, in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and then in Salem, Oregon. And they happened to be two weeks apart. And because we couldn't get the scheduling down, I ended up signing up for both of them. And so my second and third ever half Ironmans were two weeks apart. And I finished both of them in just under six hours, which was a huge feat for me. And I could walk after each race, which that, that was also, this is how I measure success in triathlons is can, can I walk the next day? So I'm doing pretty good. That is great. We understand that you are not uh, actively involved in triathlon at this point, but you are still being active. So tell us what, what are you up to athletically these days? Yeah. So uh, actually about the same time I started training for my first half, I got into uh, Spartan races into obstacle course racing. And that's more of my focus at this time. 
The current race I'm training for is actually under the Tough Mudder brand, and it's the world's toughest mudder. It's on November 4th, on my birthday this year in Dallas. Come say hi. It's a 24-hour obstacle course race where you do a five-mile loop as many times as possible in 24 hours, which I have never done something like this before, so keep your fingers crossed for me. That sounds fantastic. Having just done a Tough Mudder this past weekend with my family, <laughs> uh, finally, finally got my family out to do something like that. Had a blast. But thinking of doing that for 24 hours, that takes a lot of commitment uh, to sign up for. So kudos to you uh, to stepping up for that. And you said it was November 4th? November 4th. Yeah. November 4th, the big day. Okay. Well, we, we will look forward to uh, hearing about that and how that progresses. 24 hours of Tough Mudder. Good luck, my friend. I wish you the best. Thank you. All right. At this point in your athletic career, I, you, I know we've shifted from the triathlon to the OCR stuff. How do you define success? That's a great question. And a, a little bit, I struggle with picking one goal, which is something I've been trying to work on. And that's why I've left triathlon behind temporarily so I can focus on one thing. Uh, with the Spartan races, I race uh, almost exclusively in my age group. The only time I do the open division is when I race, I run them with my dad. My goal at each race is to be on the podium. It does not happen each time. It's happened a couple of times, which I am very proud of. And so for me, it's, I, I like having races as opposed to just showing up at the gym every day. So I have a forced kind of measurement, like a test day of, okay, did I really put the work in? Was I really consistent? Did I do those little things I needed to so that on race day, I'm ready to go. That's great. It's so being able to stay focused or trying to stay more focused on one goal and continue to measure that as you're making progress. That, that's how you're looking at it these days. Yeah. So we won't go too far down this tangent because we need to get to, to money stuff at some point. But I, I actually, all, all of my athletic endeavors are really built around taking care of my mental health. I, I realized several years ago that the more physically active I am, the, the more pleasant I am to be around. And so I, I realized that unless I had a specific physical goal I was training for, I just wasn't active. I always have a race I'm training for because it keeps me being physically active every day. And, and just, I mean, and all the science will back it up, but it just, it just keeps you happier. So keep up the good work on that front. Uh, I'll look forward to hearing more about your adventures, uh, OCR and otherwise. So uh, we do need to talk a little bit about money stuff here. We do try to cover that every once in a while. So uh, professionally speaking, uh, you are doing some great work helping individuals pay less in taxes. Can we start at a high level and can you just tell us a little bit more about your current pursuits and how are you helping people pay less in taxes? Yeah, so a couple of years ago now, I left the kind of big accounting firm world that CPA stereotypically get into where I had a great experience, learned a lot, but I, I left that world to start my own company, Retirement Tax Services, really to work hand in hand with financial advisors, just like you mentioned, that I, I, we, we partner with you as well to say, okay, taxes are an important area of, of a person's life, but they're not the only area of their money life. And while I'm a tax specialist, they, everyone needs help with those other areas of their life as well. And so for me, this was a really good fit to say, okay, if I, if I find someone who's working with a financial advisor who can at least help them in these other areas, then I can really come in and just laser focus on the tax side, because for most people, taxes are going to be their single biggest expense throughout their life and definitely in retirement. And so even if we can just sand the rough edges off of that retirement tax bill, we can have a big impact. These aren't small dollars we're talking about. 
And so obviously, you know, working with advisors and their clients to, to pay less in taxes is, is obviously a big focus of, of RTS. And then I also understand that you're doing some additional work, more of an individual facing education component to the, to the work that you're doing. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Definitely. I mean, I think similar to your goal with with having this podcast and, and talking about these concepts for, for people to generally hear, there's just so much education needed around these topics. Similar to, to why the, the book got written, there's just a lack of information of these things that impact all of us. And so I like to be able to put that information out there in a way that people can use. Yes, I, I also run a business and there are some of those listeners that I ultimately would love to work with. But my goal anytime I'm on, whether it's my podcast or someone else's podcast, my goal is always that I share information in a way that if people never hear of me again or never remember my name, that they can still take some value away. That this isn't like there's some locked gate at the end and I'm only going to tell you the important part if you give me all of your money. Um, I, I like to just share valuable information. The podcast that you also run, that you run separately from from this work and separately from RTS, that is the least boring podcast. Is that correct? The least boring tax podcast, or uh, I think it's officially still named the Retirement Tax Podcast. At some point, we'll we'll officially rebrand. I think taxes aren't typically the most exciting topic for people to to hear about, so we try to keep it a little bit fun and just focus on those those core principles, those core things that we can make decisions on over time. I mean, similar to my approach to my fitness at this point, it's about consistency over time. It's not not about hitting a home run all at once. Perfect. Yeah, that's great. Uh, for the listeners, if you haven't noticed already, uh, Stephen has a tremendous sense of humor and does a, a great job of educating uh, about taxes. So if you are interested, I would definitely recommend checking that out. Uh, it is going to re- be rebranded, but it's the least boring tax podcast. Yep. You can find it under retirementtaxpodcast.com or Retirement Tax Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Fantastic. Uh, we'll have links in the show notes to that as well. So uh, so if we can get uh, a little bit more tactical here, Stephen, we're going to dig in. We had a couple of questions, first of which is how can a W-2 wage earner reduce the sting of an expensive hobby like triathlon? Uh, when we're thinking about the, the triathlon from the tax perspective, what could a W-2 wage earner do? Yeah, Justin, that's a really great question. And I I hear it all the time. I mean, it turns out at the end of the day, uh, most of us spend some portion of our career as WM2 employees, even as a business owner. Now, I spent a long time doing that. Unfortunately, the tax code is not very well set up for your your traditional W-2 employee. We do have some options available to us. We want to make sure we understand what those are. A lot of times those are going to be benefits through your employer, whether that's your 401k or a health savings account. These things that, again, it's going to be little consistent things over time. As we look at hobbies, the IRS does not like it when we deduct things just for the sake of deducting them. And so we have to be really intentional about not getting into this ideal world where, well, what if they don't notice? Or I saw on TikTok that someone did this. The picture changes when I, I know you you talk a lot to age group athletes, people who are taking this stuff fairly seriously. The picture definitely changes if you ever have prize money or any kind of earnings associated with that hobby. But if this is just something we're doing to, to stay in shape, to even in my case, to, to have a happy life, whatever that might be, the IRS unfortunately has not given us a carve out where we can say, oh, hey, if that, that hobby makes you happier, here's the tax deduction that goes with it. Okay. So does that change at all if someone is a business owner or are there other, other options that are available as a business owner? 
Yeah. So if whether you own a business as your full-time gig, or this is you do some consulting on the side, you've got W-2 and, and business income, we definitely need to look at taxes a little bit differently when we have other sources of income. It just it, it opens some opportunities to us. We do need to be careful though. So when you go and buy the latest triathlon bike, you can't just scratch your company name into the center post and say, well, now it's a tax deduction. If the IRS ever comes and asks questions, that one's not going to fly. For me, some of the things that I look at, because I am not a professional level triathlete, I have not gotten any prize money for my triathlons. But anytime I travel for work, which for me is fairly often, one of the first things I do is I look for races in the area. And so if I'm already traveling for work, that means that all of my travel expenses are going to be deductible, that I, I can run those through the business. And then if I happen to find a race I can do over the weekend, the way the rules work, you don't have to, let's just for a quick example, let's say I'm traveling for two days for work and there's two days for the race. I don't now have to take all of my travel expenses and split them 50-50 between business expenses and personal expenses. Because if I'm flying somewhere, I had to make the flight whether I was staying two days or four days. So great, the flight is all business travel. Same with things like ground transportation. Uh, I'm probably only going to take a portion of my hotel because I'm staying extra for personal, but I'm I'm just looking at some of these different things. Same with if I take that same trip and I stay two days for business and two days for the race and I brought my whole family with me because they wanted to watch the race. Okay, now the, the two days of the hotel where I was doing work, where I was at a conference or whatever I might've been traveling for, I'm not splitting this of, well, there was four of us in the room and I was the only one working. And so only a quarter of it's on the business return. And nope, I had to have a hotel room. The entire hotel room is on my tax return. And so that, that might feel kind of nuanced or, or like, well, what does that really add up to? It depends on your situation. And if you're traveling a lot for races and you can stack work on top of that travel or vice versa, these things add up over time. Think about paying taxes for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. I know that's a depressing thought, but you will be paying taxes for a very long time. And even if we can save $1,000 a year, $2,000 a year, now we're talking about tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars we've saved in taxes over our lifetime. That's fantastic, Stephen. And, and I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, it kind of goes along with something you'd shared earlier. It's not necessarily about doing one thing perfectly. And in, in, in this case, it's a it's a little bit different. It's sanding off that rough edge, as, as you put it, just say, hey, is there something that we can do to look at that a little bit more strategically? Also, I, I, I do want to make sure that our audience is clear. Stephen is in, in no way making any sort of recommendations on how you should <laughs> handle your taxes or anything like that. You know, the insert all disclaimers here type of stuff, but it's just something to think about as a way to perhaps realign some aspects of your work and your life that could end up with a slightly better net result. Uh, and if if you could do something like that, why wouldn't you at least consider it? We are not dancing in the, the Cayman Island waters or anything like that. We're not doing anything like that. Just looking at some additional options. So, uh, so Stephen, I, I appreciate all of that. And, and I hope I've inserted enough disclaimers uh, at this point to make sure that it's not tax advice or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, Justin, you're spot on that we have to put that reminder there that that uh, especially if you work with a tax professional, please don't go to them and say, well, I heard this guy on a podcast, so I absolutely can do it this way. You've been messing up my return for years. That's probably not the reaction to this. But really, as we have these conversations, this is about questions you should ask on your own return. Don't run out and immediately make a change tomorrow. But if these th if we're talking about th things that are relevant in your life, it's it's worth taking a minute to say, huh, I wonder if that applies to me. 
neither you or I have ever actually won money at, at one of these races yet. But the, the other way, you know, we spend a lot of money on, on hobbies and all that. But there are people, I'd, I'd like to think there are people who are listening to this podcast right now that have actually won money or would win money in the future. Uh, could you share with us a little bit about how that might be viewed from an IRS perspective? Yeah, so let's let's talk specifically about people who who maybe are just that that one step above you and I. That you and I do this stuff often. We like it, but we're not at the point where we're getting prize money. So let, let's look at that group who they've taken it a little bit further, where they've committed, they've worked hard enough, they're still doing something else full time to you know cover their lifestyle. But now every now and then, hey, like they're finishing high enough that there is some some prize money that comes comes with it. So this isn't. I, I make that distinction to say. This is not a full-time occupation or business because the rules are a little bit different. And the, the IRS specifically has this category that they refer to as their hobby loss rules. So if you're doing something that, that's that's ultimately a hobby, it's not a full-fledged business that's earning income, the IRS has basically said, we'll give it to you to offset any income that you have with expenses that you're legitimately incurring, but you don't now get to incur just big, huge losses that are going to reduce your W-2 income, which if you get on the internet, you'll find plenty of people on the internet who will tell you, you just need to set up an LLC and run everything through it. And then magically nothing is taxable anymore. And that is categorically false. An LLC doesn't actually change your tax the nature of how things are taxed, it's legal protection. Um, so if the, the way I try to think about this is, am I trying to run a legitimate business or not? And if I'm trying to run a legitimate business, that means I have a marketing strategy. That means I am spending time trying to generate new revenue. That means I'm improving my processes. It, it means a lot of things. It does not mean that I train really, really, really hard and happen to win every now and then. So J Justin, on my list, if, if, if in the next couple of years, I suddenly start winning races and I'm getting prize money, but I'm still doing retirement tax services. On my tax return, you're going to see a Schedule C. That's where we report business income. Uh, you're going to see whatever prize money I received as total revenue. And then you know how expensive triathlons are. It is not going to be hard for me to come up with expenses that offset all of that prize money, unless I grossly misunderstand the prize money that's available. But I, I have a, a low to maybe mid-range triathlon bike probably really a low-end triathlon bike. And again, I'm sure your listeners are plenty familiar with what these things cost. It's not going to be hard for me to offset that income, but I'm not going to get so carried away that I've now put a $10,000 loss on that Schedule C because of all of my travel and my gym membership and my bike and my hydration and my nutrition and all of those things. Once we start recognizing losses, especially for multiple years, and we don't have a legitimate business, the IRS is going to come back and disallow all of that. Gotcha. Okay. I appreciate you sharing that, Stephen, because it sounds like there's, there's definitely an opportunity that it, say someone won $1,000 at a race, that doesn't necessarily automatically become a taxable income that, that they have to make sure they're setting aside a quarterly estimated payment because they, they won $1,000 at a race or something like that. If we're looking at this from the big picture perspective, utilizing that hobby loss perspective, there is some gray area in there or some, some room for, for adaptation in that understanding the individual situation. Yeah, I wouldn't even call it gray area. There's there's room to be proactive because, because these are legitimate things. Again, we're not hoping the IRS doesn't notice. It's just we have to be intentional about it because the IRS also isn't going to remind us to have those deductions because you go win $1,000 at a race, they're most likely going to send you a 1099 that says, hey, we gave you $1,000. You need to claim this on your, your tax return. And unless you've listened to a great podcast or you have somebody on your team that says, hey, wait, I see new income. Are there expenses we should look at? Because anytime a tax return comes across my desk that has income 
It's not part of their, their employment. I don't see how it's related to a business they already have. That's the question I'm going to ask is what expenses should be associated with this? And especially if someone's winning $1,000 at a triathlon, just with my background, I know there's going to be at least $1,000 of expenses that need to go against that. It is time for a quick form check. Money Mile is powered by Waller Financial Coaching, a full-time fiduciary financial planning firm. If you want to improve your financial form and improve your financial independence, you can get a copy of Financial Independence for Triathletes by texting Money Mile, one word, to 33777. You will also be added to the Money for the Long Run newsletter. Again, text Money Mile, one word, to 33777. Now let's check in on that running form. If you have your own form cues, please use those. If not, here are mine. Drop your shoulder blades into your back pockets. Bring your eyes up to the horizon and lean forward from the ankles for the rest of this episode of Money Mile. A couple of steps beyond just the triathlon side of things, how would you say that someone would know if they are paying too much to the IRS? Everybody I talk to tells me they're paying too much to the IRS, but I think your question goes a little bit beyond that. Justin, the first step, just like with anything in life, is recognition. For the people listening, before you go find your tax return, take a second and think about this of how much did you pay in taxes last year? How much did you actually, and not, not how much did you pay at tax time? This isn't, did I get a refund or did I owe the IRS when I filed my tax return? But how much of your hard-earned money did the IRS keep last year? Because in my experience, most people have no idea. They can tell you if they got a refund or made a payment. It's line 24 on the 1040. I've done this just a couple of times. That one is permanently ingrained in my brain. The number of times I flip a tax return around and show it to a client and say, line 24, this is the amount of your hard-earned money the IRS kept. And their their eyes just almost explode out of their heads. They're like, wait, I paid how much in taxes? especially for W-2 employees, we're so used to that the income tax is just coming out of our paycheck and we're not really recognizing how much it is or how it's adding up. Uh, I've shown people tax bills that are over $100,000 and they would have guessed that they had paid 10 because they're thinking about how much did I pay at tax time. So this is a long way to get back to your question. of The starting point is you need to actually understand how much of your money the IRS is keeping. That gives us a good framework for, okay, this is a big deal. This is a lot of money over my lifetime. So again, even if we can just sand the rough edges off of that that tax bill. And then it's looking at, am I taking advantage of tax advantage accounts that are available to me? 401k, IRA, health savings account. Am I being intentional when I have other sources of income? Whether that's, I, I mean, it seems like, especially with COVID, everyone tried out Uber or Instacart or like just like had their moment of like, what if I try this gig economy thing? If you're doing something on the side and you have income that's not coming through a W-2, it's have I looked at the expenses that might be relevant to that? My cell phone, my internet, my do I have a home office? Uh, we have to be intentional about these things. The IRS, the IRS is always going to remind you if you have income you didn't report. The IRS is not going to prompt you to say, hey, you might have more expenses that you should have deducted. 
Excellent. Thank you. And so thinking about that from a from the big picture perspective and say, hey, well, there, there could have been lots of lots of little things out there that could make the, the situation different. The other thing I'd say on that is this is something you have to come back to because your life is going to change. The tax rules are going to change. Your situation from year to year is going to change. And so th- this isn't something we can look at once and say, okay, here's the two strategies that are relevant to you. You can execute on them this year and then we never have to worry about it again. This is not a set it and forget it. This is something we have to come back to. And Great news. We'll sarcastically say great news. The IRS is going to ask you to file a tax return every year. So at a minimum, once a year, you should be thinking, is there something new I should have considered this year? Okay. And then uh, also in, in your work is not necessarily only looking at the the taxes for the individual year, but looking at it more strategically over time. So do you comment on that a little bit and kind of how you view those things? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, that's in fact that's that's the primary focus of what I do is is how do we how do we sand off those rough rough edges over time? Because in general, to save on taxes in a way that doesn't put you in jail, which is the idea here, we're we're not trying to evade taxes, we're trying to use the tax code to our advantage. Most of those opportunities come down to understanding relative tax rates. And what I mean by that is understanding what when you look at an individual level, what do I expect to pay in taxes now? And what do I think that tax rate might be in the future? This could come from a couple of different factors. One, the tax code is written in pencil and Congress can change it anytime they want. In fact, we already know that tax rates are going to go up in 2026. We already know that if Congress does nothing, what they're best at, that tax rates are going to go up in a couple of years. And so then we can start making some decisions about, okay, if I know tax rates are going to go up, rather than deferring tax bills to the future when tax rates are going to be higher, I might want to go out of my way to intentionally pay taxes now, to convert to Roth or contribute to Roth, to fill up a tax-free bucket. And that's just one example of how tax rates might go up. A lot of people are surprised to find out their income doesn't really go down in retirement when you turn on Social Security, when you have, you're taking distributions from your investments, when you're forced to take distributions from your IRA or your 401k. And so your income going up in the future might also cause your tax rate to be higher. And then everyone has an opinion about how much other people should pay in taxes. But when I talk to individuals, they always personally want to pay less. And 99% of the time when I ask individuals, are you concerned at all that tax rates might go up in the future? Their answer is, uh, yeah, yeah, I am. And so that informs the decisions we make on tax planning. It's about making those intentional choices in years where we anticipate that that year is either going to be higher or lower as far as tax rates go than in the future. So really stepping back and looking at that from a long-term perspective, giving you more capacity to make better decisions. Yeah, exactly. Very good. I've got a couple of other questions for you here, Stephen, uh, but I do realize we're getting a little bit short on time. So as you're looking at taxes, I'm just kind of curious, you've been doing this for a while. This is not your first rodeo. Is there anything recently, just kind of looking for a recent anecdotal story, something that surprised you about taxes? My head immediately starts thinking through like different tax rules or tax strategies, but nothing immediately comes to mind. I mean, Justin, honestly, what comes to mind, and I probably shouldn't be surprised by it anymore, but I'm quite often surprised at not the lack of education around taxes, because when when would someone have learned? It's not taught in high school. It's rarely taught in college. But what surprises me is how quickly people are willing to just embrace something they see on the internet or see on social media as, oh, well, that must be true. It's never the, hey, I might have to pay more in taxes. It's when they hear, oh, you could say, buy real estate, you'd never have to pay taxes again. It's like, time out. 
That's not quite how that works. I know someone on TikTok told you that, but that's not quite how that works. There's a little bit more complicated. But taxes are so emotional and painful for us, like we nobody wants to pay more of them, that when we're given this glimmer of hope that if you do this thing and jump through these hoops, you'll never pay taxes again, there's just part of us that wants it to be true. And so I, I run into people who get a little too far down that path. I was talking to someone just the other day who uh, was reluctantly telling me about uh, losses they'd had a couple of years ago as they dabbled in crypto. And they turned out to be rather significant losses. And they're they had heard somewhere that maybe they could funnel these through their business and offset business income. And I said, time out. That's not how that works. I completely relate to your desire to only pay what you absolutely have to, but we've got to do this in legitimate ways. Excellent. Perfect. And that and that's great perspective. Uh, obviously, you you know what you're talking about. You know a lot about the, the tax code and, and helping people understand what they can do within the rules uh, to do things appropriately and, and make sure that they're putting themselves in the best position possible is part of the reason why I have so enjoyed working with you thus far. So thank you for all of that. I do want to give you a, a moment of time here. Uh, if you could, please uh, tell our listeners kind of what else you have going on in the world. If they like hearing what you have to say, how do they find you? How do they follow you and uh, learn more about what you have going on? And Justin, I think you've done a pretty good job covering it. I, I do. I spend a lot of time working with financial advisors like you, but I do put out a lot of content for consumers through the Retirement Tax Podcast through the book that I've written. I love doing Spartan races and I, I talk about them on LinkedIn at times. If Hey, if you ever see that I'm going to be at a race, uh, go, give me a follow. Let me know you're going to be there. I love meeting people in person and being like, hey, here we are running the same race. And that enough, that's enough of a connection for me. <laughs> Super cool. And we will definitely put a link in the show notes to the book and to the podcast. So uh, for those of you that are that are out in your long, steady run and don't necessarily have a spot to jot things down, you check your show notes or look for the resources there and you'll be able to find links to all of this stuff. So Stephen Jarvis, thank you so much for your time. I very much appreciate your expertise, your insights, your knowledge, and the way you deliver all this stuff. You're just a, a pleasure to work with on a regular basis. So, So thank you for all that you do. Please keep up the good work. Justin, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, man. Thank you, Stephen, for sharing your time and expertise with us. For those of you who are interested, Stephen mentioned during our conversation, his focus was to partake of the world's toughest mutter. Stephen was able to compete and completed 50 miles of obstacle course racing in a 24-hour period. Wow. As this was his first attempt at a 24-hour race like this, Kudos, Stephen. I'm sure, like most of us, you are probably thinking about things you could have done different and would like to have had an even better result than you had. But celebrate the awesomeness of doing hard things, my friend. And I wish you the best in all of your future endeavors. Well done with this one. I hope our listeners found this as valuable as I did. If you did, please share the podcast with your training buddies and friends. Keep in mind, if you work out, everything else will too. We look forward to talking with you next time on Money Mile.